Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Haley. Welcome to Mountain Mysteries, Tales from Appalachia. was your week uh well besides this nasty cold you gave me um sorry that's okay that's sorry right. yeah um so the ghost activity has increased in my apartment oh i thought it hadn't well today i turned the tv on for the first like i had i turned it off cable and i switched it back over because i leave hdtv hdtv on for my dog because she's spoiled and it was playing westerns so i have this ghost in my apartment that i've nicknamed bill and he likes to watch westerns and walk across my kitchen at night well i mean you know he likes westerns he little bonanza and a banana (laughs) you know yeah um we just kind of coexist we just both you know peacefully exist together in my apartment that's a good thing at least he doesn't want to hurt you no no we've um just been hanging out me and bill you and bill yep quite the dynamic duo we are we are a team he's body or no your body and he's soul mm, yep mm, like it yeah. i like it yeah yeah as long as we both just kind of keep existing in different planes i'm fine as soon as he starts like becoming aware that i'm there it's like nah right. or if he you know starts taking on someone's human form i don't know it's yeah no i don't like that. that no don't like that at all yeah. anyway um i have a story for you that both of our moms are actually super excited to hear about. Yeah, I told my mom a little piece and she said, I remember that story. So she's very excited to hear, which, you know, they're two of our biggest fans. So yeah, yeah, our moms have been great. But it kind of makes them a little messed up that they're (laughs) excited to hear about this murder. We're their daughters, enough said. That's true. I think they were already messed up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So this takes place in the late 90s, 1999. That was a good year for me. I was two. I was in high school. (laughs) Oh, God. So on September 30th, 1999, there were five members of the Phillips family, and they were all murdered in their home in Haywood County, North Carolina. Now, this is near Waynesville. Mm-hmm. For those of you who need a little bit more of a location point. And Waynesville is about, I would say, 40 minutes um, west of Asheville. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been kind of focusing in North Carolina, but there's just so many crazy things that happen in North Carolina. I know. And don't worry, you guys. We're, we fully take on different uh, areas of the South for yeah, stories. Yeah, so. yep, for sure. So after these five people were murdered, there would be two men that would be arrested after a manhunt ensued. One would serve life in prison, and the other was actually executed for the crime. Um, and in, like, there hasn't been that many executions in North Carolina. No. So this was kind of a big deal when it happened. So on the morning of September 29th, 1999, Chris Lippard, who was 20, and Chad Watt were drinking and looking for weed. Lippard and Watt decided to go to Mark Stout's house, and they picked up Stout and Charles Roche, who was 27. 
And apparently there was some talk about going to get drugs and going to rob a drug dealer since somebody had a gun. So just to to recap, we got these four young guys Mm -hmm. who are just initially going out to buy weed. Yeah. And now they're looking for a gun. So they have a gun. They have a gun. Yeah. They're now they're like, hey, let's go rob this drug dealer. Oh, wow. And get some like harder drugs. Wow. That has escalated very quickly. Yeah. So that's kind of how it goes through this whole story. We're going to see a lot of quick escalations here. Okay. So while Lippard was driving, he drove over something that punctured the gas tank. And Watt got upset with Lippard and a fight broke out. So Roche and Stout then beat Watt and threw him in the trunk. Like I said, quick escalations here. Wow. Lippard then drove to a wooded area where Roche hit Watt with a shotgun and broke his neck. And Roche then shot Watt in the eye and Lippard shot Watt in the head. They then buried him in the woods under a tree by a creek. So, um, yeah, it's a lot. Just kind of process all. It just gets crazier. Just to, like, choose your friends wisely. So, wow. And, and this feels very overkill yeah yeah there was um they were all drinking and doing drugs so there was a lot of you know inhibited (laughs) thought process so the three of them then hitchhiked back to stout's house and where they changed out of their bloody clothes and put the clothes in a bag and dumped them at a fish camp wow so they were thinking ahead there yeah the next morning lippard stole a 1970s uh ford truck and went to Stout's house. So we're stealing cars left and right throughout the story. Stout and Lippard and Roach uh, then went to Walmart and stole some boots and also took a license plate off of another truck in the parking lot and put it on their truck. Stout then gave Lippard and Roach a sawed off 20 gauge shotgun, some ammo, and a can of mace, and then he peaced out. So Stout's out of the picture now. He just left, from what I can understand. Hmm. So. Roche and Lippard then left and stole some items from some cars, and they bought some beer. So they didn't steal the beer. They actually bought the beer. You know, you would kind of think, like, well, why stop now? Right, right. You're Just sort keep, of on a roll. Yeah, you're, you're on a roll. Keep going. Uh, they then attempted to rob a man at a rest area. So here's our rest area again. Oh, gosh. Say no again. to rest areas. Stay away. Just pee at McDonald's, folks. Yes. That's one of our, like, rules here. Exactly. Pee at McDonald's. You see the golden arches? That's it. That's your That's spot. Where you That's, your go. That's where you go. <laughs> so lucky for this man, though, he didn't actually have his wallet on him and made a huge scene and it scared the men off. Wow. So he lived to tell this tale, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, the two then traveled to Haywood County where Lippard wrecked the truck. So this is two vehicles Lippard has messed up. Just we're going to keep a running count here because it just gets crazier. So after wrecking their truck, they walked to the nearest house, hoping to steal another car. And they came up to a house off of Rabbitskin Road in Haywood County, and that's off of I-40. So it's called Rabbitskin Road? Rabbitskin Road was the name of the road that they were kind of walking on. And it's kind of like when you're driving down the interstate and there's kind of a side road right right beside it. So that's kind of where they were. Okay. So they had wrecked the vehicle and went and hopped over onto the side road and were walking it, looking for a car. Gotcha. So the first house they came to was this kind of green ranch style house. So the Phillips family lived in the home and they had just returned from a fair. So I'm assuming it was the 
uh, Mountain State Fair. Mm-hmm. It was September. Because so yeah. it would have been around that time. And that fair still goes on today. It I know does. I've been several times to it. Um, but they had just gotten home. Um, Earl was 72. And his wife, Cora, was 71. And they lived in the home with their son, Eddie, who was 40. And his wife, Mitzi, who was 44. And Eddie and Mitzi's daughter, Katie, who was 14. So these five are living in the home together. Earl and Cora were retired. Um, Eddie was a dump truck driver and Mitzi worked at a textile plant and she ran a beauty shop out of the house. And Katie was a student at Waynesville Middle School. So she was probably like eighth grade. Yeah. Being 14. So Lippert and Roach decided to break in to steal guns and a car. Lippard entered and held Cora at gunpoint, and Earl pleaded with him not to hurt Cora. And Lippard assured them that no one would get hurt. Earl led him to the gun cabinet and gave him the shotgun, ammo, and a twenty-two caliber rifle. Lippard then disabled the telephone by cutting the cord. So now they have no way to call for help. Roche then bound Earl and Cora with duct tape, and the two of them, Roche and Lippard, fled in Earl's 1986 Ford pickup truck. Lippard then wrecked the truck. God. We're up to three. So why the heck are we still letting Lippard drive? I will never know because now we're up to three cars that he has wrecked. Right. Um, unfortunately, after they wrecked, they went back to the house to get another car. So Lippard went... To the same house. Yeah, to the same house. They didn't even make it down the driveway before oh he wrecked God. it. Wow. Like just barely made it down to the end of the driveway before Lippard wrecks his truck. gave this young man a license? I... So many questions for the DMV. For sure. So they went back up to the house and Lippard was supposed to go back in and get keys for another vehicle because they had several vehicles there. And Roche was going to stay behind and get the stuff out of the car. And so meanwhile, um, there's the older folks are still... They're still tied, tied up, up in okay. the house. So when they came back, um, Eddie came out and started fighting with Lippard. So Roche came up and shot Eddie in the chest with a shotgun to get him to stop fighting with Lippard. He then went inside and reloaded. So this is kind of the catalyst of the whole event. He was then confronted by Mitzi, who he shot in the face with the shotgun. And he followed 14-year-old Katie into the bathroom and shot her in the side of the head. Lippard then went back. So this was Roach who shot all these people. Lippard then went back into the living room and he shot Earl and Cora in the head. And later, according to Roche, um, when Roche was in prison, he said Earl's last words were, God bless you, son. Oh. So doing the research for this story really messed me up. Yeah, I <laughs> Like it just really, I don't know, this one really bothered me. This whole story just really got to me. So after the killings, they stole Mitzi's maroon-colored Saturn, um, which, surprise, surprise, they ended up wrecking. They made it all the way to the Tennessee border this time, though. Oh, that's a shock. So so they wrecked because they let Lippert drive, and apparently, like, again, why are we letting this kid drive? We shouldn't be. So they wrecked, and after that, they split up. So... According to the police, there were two suspects seen leaving the scene of the house. So they had some witnesses that saw people leaving. And they reported to be white males between the ages of 19 and 25. Rita Messer, who was a neighbor um, to the Phillips family, her brother, Danny Ray Messer, 
was going to the store that Tuesday night and saw Earl's truck overturned on an embankment kind of at the end of the driveway. Now, Messer thought that the truck had rolled down the driveway, like maybe Earl forgot to put the emergency brake on or something. And he went to the house to tell Earl that his truck had rolled down the bank. So when Messer got to the house, he saw Eddie's body by the road and Eddie was reportedly still alive. So Eddie had survived being shot, being shot in the chest. He would later die even before medical professionals got there. Um, But Messer went on up to the house and found the bodies of the rest of the family. So that messes a person up to see that. Absolutely. I, I never want to be that person. I can't imagine. So Messer actually had to pull it together enough, though, because he had to drive to a convenience store to call 911 because the phone line had been cut. Yeah. And again, you know, remember, this is 1999. Cell phones were very expensive. Yeah. So it's not like people just had cell phones like they do now. Right. So this crime really, really shocked the community. Yes. Uh, There was, this was a town where people left their keys in their car. They didn't lock their front doors. It was safe. It was a safe, safe town. And after this happened, people started buying up guns and extra locks for their doors, which Mm -hmm. I don't really blame them. And actually, if you think about the story, you know, a different place, different time. What if they would have wrecked further down the road? What if they wouldn't have wrecked at all? Yeah. You know, and they just happened to be the house kind of right off the freeway there. Like, they just happened to be, I mean. And then what if, okay, what if they had robbed them? They took the the truck and successfully made it to the Tennessee border. Like, we wouldn't be, you know. Or what if they did come back and the father, Eddie, didn't start fighting with them there's so many what ifs yeah so it all just kind of happened and just so needless like they had so many opportunities to just leave and just walk away and not do this yep so when the police got to the scene they found guns and shells in the truck that was left so shotgun shells were found and they actually were able to pull dna off of the shotgun that was retrieved from the Saturn when it wrecked, and Lippard's DNA was on it. So they knew that he had been there. So once they found the car, and there was a wreck, once they found the wrecked car, um, police and the SBI started a search. And Roche actually didn't go too far away from this truck. He was found around 8.30 a.m. on October 1st, 1999. So not too many days after. And he was found less than a mile away from where the Saturn crashed. So he didn't go far at all. Mm-hmm. Roche was hiding under a camper cover on Jim Fowler's property. And Fowler actually found Roach. And his son called police while Jim Fowler held him at gunpoint until police arrived. Lippard, however, was befriended by a Mr. Ricky Presswood. And Presswood kind of picked up Lippard on the side of the road. And bought Lippard some clothes at the Salvation Army, let him wash his bloody clothes with Clorox and Dawn. Now, I don't know. I'm never picking up hitchhikers. Definitely wouldn't pick up a hitchhiker with bloody clothes and then let them wash their clothes (laughs) in my house. Yeah. And you know what? I think, you know, in 
in his defense, I'm sure that he just was helping him out, you know, that he was like, oh, this poor guy. And it came out of the tenderness of his heart. I, yeah, um, But I will be honest, if there was a guy in bloody clothes trying to hitchhike, um, not only am I normally, I don't pick up hitchhikers, but I certainly don't pick up bloody hitchhikers. No. I'd be um, calling the police so fast. Well, and then even, you know, in conversation, so, so little feller, where did you get the blood all over right? you? You know? I mean, yeah. And you don't know, maybe he said, oh, I went hunting or, oh, I got hurt. I was in a car accident. Maybe. Because actually okay. that wouldn't be a lie. That's true. You know? So, yeah, maybe Presswood really was just trying to be a good guy. Yeah, just neighborly. Uh, He then let him stay at his campsite overnight. So we're still being neighborly. And the next day, he bought him a bus ticket to New Orleans and then drove Lippard to the bus station. So he was just, you know. Very kind. Being a nice guy. Very nice guy. You know, if he, you know, and obviously he didn't know who he was dealing with. I mean, I hope not. No, I highly, you know, I hope not either, yeah. I mean. Yeah, um, so when Roche was arrested, he confessed to killing Eddie, Mitzi, and Katie, but he said that Lippard had killed Cora and Earl, and he quickly turned on Lippard and told them everything that had happened. And Lippard was found in New Orleans and arrested on October 8th, 1999. Okay. So, so both of them, later. yeah, both of them are in custody now. At trial, Lippard was sentenced to life in prison, and there's not a whole lot out there on his trial. I did find some kind of court documents, but a lot of it goes back to Roche's trial, so there's a lot more on his. Now, Roche pleaded guilty, but they still had to have a trial because the death penalty was on the table, so they have to have kind of like a sentencing trial, is what, from what I understand. Uh, the prosecutor was ADA Alan Leonard, and the defense attorney was Jim Simmons. And there was a psychologist involved, um, Claudia Coleman, and she testified that Roche had an anxiety disorder and drug and alcohol abuse issues, and that he would have been unable to know what he was doing that night. So she was testifying for the defense. Now, I don't know. I think if you have the wherewithal to be able to go in and steal guns and steal a car, you know not to kill people. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't like that at all. Well, and, and, you know, if you have the conscience and, you know, I don't know. I, I think that that's a pretty poor defense. Yeah, it wasn't great. And it didn't hold up. So the defense did argue that the killings of Eddie, Mitzi, and Katie should be considered second-degree murder because they weren't premeditated. Now, the jury deliberated for about three hours, and Roche was convicted of first-degree murder on all five counts and was sentenced to death. So, he was sentenced for first-degree murder for all five. I believe Lippard was sentenced for just Cora and Earl for first-degree murder. So, Roche's earlier crimes, because this guy has got a history. So, some of his earlier crimes included possession of controlled substances, breaking and entering. He had three of those charges. Larceny, he had two of those, and misdemeanor assault and communicating threats. So he was pretty well known for like it. getting into trouble. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about Roche and kind of the way that he grew up. Not to make you feel bad for Roche, but I think there's always interest in kind of what shapes people into the people they become. 
So not that there's any kind of excuse for murdering six people. No, not at all. But this might give kind of an argument to that whole nature versus nurture thing of, you know, what could have happened. So Roche's maternal grandfather murdered his grandmother by setting her on fire. So right out the gate. (laughs) We're just, this kid has seen. So he witnessed this. From what I understand, yes, that he saw this happen. Wow. So Roche's father was super physically abusive and emotionally abusive to Roche and his sister. Uh, He would beat him frequently and tell Roche that he was not his son. So just completely against his son. When Roche was young, his father would actually kick him out of the house and he would have to live in the tobacco barn. And sometimes he would be out there for as long as a week. And this would happen all throughout the year. So sometimes in the winter. He would be living out in the barn. And Roche's sister would actually sneak him food out in the barn. Uh, Roche's father then shot a man in front of him and his sister on Thanksgiving Day when Roche was 10. So all this is happening before he's even 10. So kind of a crazy time here. Well, you're just constantly exposed to heinous crimes. Yeah. So his father was also a terrible alcoholic and started giving Roche alcohol to drink when he was about six years old. Wow. So no wonder he's got a... Substance abuse issue. Yeah. Yeah. He used to drive Roche and his sister to Virginia to visit with family, and he would be drinking the entire time. So he witnessed, you know, drinking and driving, thought that was totally normal. And one time, uh, Roche and his sister were actually placed into the state's custody, so they were in foster care for a night, because their foster their father was thrown in jail for drunk driving. So they were in foster care for a night? So that's what the article said. Um, what I think probably happened is they were placed with, like, a... Uh, some type of like like a safety placement or something for a night and then sent back to their father so when roche and his sister uh, were between six and nine years old those parents would leave them alone in north carolina while they visited family in virginia and sometimes they didn't return for a week at a time so So these kids for themselves yeah at six and nine which is kind of crazy so his parents marriage was also a mess and there was a lot of abuse between the two of them. Um, he watched his father beat his mother on several occasions. And one time, Roche actually caught his mother in bed with another man. And his mother ended up leaving his father when Roche was 15 years old. So they are separated now. Um, Roche had problems in school. He was diagnosed with several learning disabilities. He repeated second grade one time and then repeated the seventh grade three times. So, and he actually had a stutter and continued to have that stuttering problem all throughout his life. So he dealt with that as well. So that's kind of a little history into Roche. And so kind of what we're dealing with here. Now, Roche... Once he was arrested for this crime, he denied all of his appeals because you are permitted when you are convicted and sentenced to death, you are allowed so many appeals. Right. So he denied all of them, but he did have to have one because the Supreme Court says you have to have one. You have to like take one of them. So Roche apparently found faith in prison Mm. and he apologized to the family and from what it seems like he really did attempt to make amends, but the family kind of questioned his sincerity and said that his apology really wasn't enough, which 
I don't blame them. They lost five members of their family. Absolutely. And all the interviews that I, I saw and I read with Roche, he never kind of flat out says why he did it. You know, he never gives a reason. Just said like, oh, I just kind of did it. So I would have a hard time with that too. Absolutely. Um, Roche was executed on October 22nd of 2004. And his final meal, which I always find interesting, kind of hearing the final meals. Me too. Of people, which is a little sick, but I'll tell you anyway. Yeah. So his final meal was a sirloin steak, popcorn shrimp, salad with blue cheese dressing, a honey bun, and a vanilla Coke. I mean, I'm a vegetarian, so I probably wouldn't go with the steak. Um, Mm. The vanilla Coke, I don't know, it sounds like it'd make me nauseous, but (laughs) I mean, the salad sounds good, and the, the... Honey bun? Honey bun? Honey bun. That sounds good. Yeah, I haven't had a honey bun in years. I try to stay away. They're not good for you. That's true. um, Wow. I mean, it's your final meal, so screw it. Hey, do what you want. Yeah. Um, And so about, he was executed about five years after the crime. So actually, that's really not a long time. That's really short. So I don't know if the average has changed, but the last time I looked up, like, the average amount of time someone spends on death row, it's 12 years. Is this because he denied all the appeals except for one? I would assume so. Yeah, because usually with the appeals, they have to, you know, look up, they have to kind of go through the trial process again almost. Like, go through everything. And that just delays, delays. Yeah. Yeah. So, his final words were, I can only hope and pray the pain and hurt I caused you will be healed as I give my life as a key to forgiveness. May God's love shine on you. You know, I, I have to wonder, and but it was it was Lippard who um, uh, Earl said, you know, yeah. oh, my God bless you. Yeah. But I do wonder if not if hearing that and you know spending time clean in jail didn't yeah. really change perspective. And- it totally could have, and the kind of thing about about Roche is this was actually considered a voluntary execution. Because he denied all of his appeals. So there was a whole lot of um, protest and issue around it because some people viewed this as state-assisted suicide. Because he had all this opportunity and said no. You know, but I mean, he had to be evaluated, obviously, by psychologists and everything. And he, you know, kind of Maybe there was the sincerity of I am going to give up my life because I took so many. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy case. It's and very sad. Just to uh, recap, Lippard is still serving time in prison. He's, he's From what I have been able to find, yes, he's still in jail. Okay. So, yeah, because this has not been, 99's not that long ago. No, we were talking 21 years. Yeah, so he definitely would still be serving a life Yeah, sentence. and he was 20 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's he's only 41. Yeah, and his sentence was life without the possibility of parole. Gotcha. So, and since he was sentenced after, you know, he turned 18, he was 19 when the crime was committed. He's okay. an adult. Oh, so. so really he's he's 40. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Whoo, well. Um, Sorry to bring the mood down a that's, little bit. No, that's okay. <laughs> wow, that's just a... It's a very scary story and just how how quickly everything escalated and what could have happened, what, you mm-hmm. know, had just turns of events, you know? I mean, yeah. and how devastating for this family. Yeah, like I said, this one really messed me up. 
for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I can see that. Oh, man. Yeah. My mom, I remember her telling me about the story. She's actually the one who suggested it to me. And she said, yeah, it really, really bothered her because of the young girl that was involved. Um, so it just. Well, because, I mean, you, I mean, my gosh, you think about how much potential and, yeah. you know, everything that she had to look forward to. I know. Just in life. Cut so short. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lorray, for this, for bringing down the mood, for recommending <laughs> oh, the story. Yeah, we'll blame Lorray. Yeah, let's, let's blame No, no. We love you. Um, <laughs> thanks, Mom. Thanks. Um, wow, that's a fascinating story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, even just looking at, at Lippard, should he have also gotten the death penalty? Was it was it just that he got life in prison? Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, I don't know exactly why things kind of went the way that they went. And um, no one ever uh, was tried for Watts murder? So Watts murder was actually included in this as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, Roche actually told them about Watt. Oh, because they wouldn't have known. They didn't even know. Okay. So when he was like confessing to everything, he said, oh, by the way, also killed this dude. Here's where you can find him. Well, at least he was trying to clear his conscience. And yeah, he... I think he was like, well, it's all going down now. Yeah, Let's at tell least it he all. was honest and open about it. Yep. Well, if y'all want to send us an email, <laughs> smooth transition there, uh, you can do so. Uh, you can brighten our moods by sending us an email to mountainmysteries.appalachian at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Mountain Mysteries Tales from Appalachia. And give us a like on Instagram at mountainmysteries.appalachia. Absolutely. We would love to hear from you guys. Please um, send us an email. Hit us up. You know, DM us. PM us. Do all I, those things. I am. That's not a thing I anymore, am a, right? No, I can't. Instant message. Instant well, messaging. maybe. I don't know. I mean, sure. Find us on something. and Exactly. MySpace. No, I'm just Yeah, kidding. we'll set up a MySpace account. Uh. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> oh, God. 1999. <laughs> An AOL, you know, chat. Woohoo. No, okay. Um, Haley, do you want me to give them a little uh, hint on what's going on with my story next week? Sure. Okay. Well, we are telling a story next week uh, that takes place in Greenville, South Carolina, about a tragic homicide of a 28-year-old woman um, that's actually tied into some other murders and has some twists and turns. So um, stay tuned for that. And we'll plan to see you guys next week. Let me ask a question before we go. Sure. Was Fitzgerald involved? Listen, he did it. <gasps> Fitzgerald did it. Okay, case solved. We don't even have to hear your story next week because Fitzgerald. Oh, did I just I just solved it. Done. I don't know if he was around in nineteen ninety when this crime happened. Mm. I think he died. I looked him up in forty. Okay. But I, what if it was his ghost? <gasps> Fitzgerald's ghost. Ooh. <laughs> well, we will see y'all next week. All right. Have a great one. Bye. Bye.